You're listening to Real Presence Live on the Real Presence Radio Network. Join the conversation on our Facebook page or on Twitter. And be sure to like and follow us for more great Catholic content. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Real Presence Live. My name is Janine Bitson. And I'm Brad Gray. And we just had a wonderful discussion with Dr. J. Richards on uh, God's Grandeur. Uh, by Ann Gager. Yeah, that was, that was oh, great. It was so yeah, good. Yeah, I know. I'm going to have to go find that today. I think that's a read that my husband and I are going to really enjoy together. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I would have loved to have you know four times as long to go into that because there's just so many areas and you feel like you're just talking so fast to try to get at all these things that it might have been a little overwhelming. I don't know. Yeah, but in, in the same way, it's a really good tease. And I encourage all our listeners, um, if you're a science nut, uh, like I am. I love all things in the natural world, physics, nature, you name it. But then also in your faith life, how beautiful mm, to yes. really I, have an understanding of both interacting together. Absolutely. It's like uh, the creation seeing the glory of God. You know? Right, right. So, so, and on that point, we actually, the singing the glory of God, our next guest is Dr. Porter from the University of Mary on to talk to us a little bit about sacred music. So, good morning to you, Dr. Porter. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being with us this morning. For, so let's, let's begin by having you introduce yourself so we can know who you are, what you do, and all that. Sure. I'm Tom Porter. I am the Department Chair of Music and the Director of Graduate Studies in Music at the University of Mary in Bismarck. I have been here for 15 years, and I'm also an alumnus of the University of Mary and a student from way back of the Sisters of Annunciation Monastery, who were my first piano teacher. Mm, cool. That is, that is so wonderful. I know that there's so many incredible things going out in you, Mary. I know uh, my my kids' uh, choir instructor over 14 years at Shanley, uh, Dr. Rebecca Raber, is amazing. And uh, were you on that trip overseas with them? I was, yes. Oh, beautiful. Concert choir and concert band in Capella. Wow. Oh, it, all the pictures that I've seen just look so incredible. And thank you for doing that for our students. Those are memories for a lifetime, and they just only bring, bring them all closer to, to God's glory. Mm-hmm. They certainly do. So, Dr. Porter, you're the director of choral activities at UMary. Um, could you give us in, some insight into what that is? Yes. So, in addition to directing the choirs, um, I direct concert choir and vocal jazz. Uh, Dr. Raber, as Jimmy mentioned, uh, directs our chapel choir, Capella. Um, I'm also the department chair at the University of Mary, so I oversee all of the programs, and I'm the director of graduate studies. We have an MA in music degree, and now we have a sacred music certificate. Cool. So what, what, is, what is the sacred music certificate involved? What, what's that all about? So as we looked at you know, the needs of people in this area, this region and beyond. Uh, one of the things that, that stuck out to us is the fact that many times people are entering into um, music ministry in a parish. They might be a volunteer, they might be a part-time person, they might be a full-time person, but uh, their background is probably in music in general or music education, and they don't necessarily have uh, training in sacred music. So what we hope to do with this program, this certificate, is to uh, fill a little bit of that gap for people who are interested in looking at 
the church documents, the church teachings on, on what music is and where music happens in the liturgy, and, um, and also looking at the practical experience that, you know, a lot of times people don't have that um, opportunity to continue to study either in piano or organ or voice or conducting. And so we built that into the program as well. Mm. I'm thinking as you're talking about how, you know music ministers having a background in music but not sacred music, uh, of like the analogy of let's say an architect who understands you know how buildings are designed, but they may not know like lit- liturgy. They may not know what is church design, right? Like that that's a massive sure. thing because we got some very big churches being built in the Fargo area right now, and you can't just grab anyone off the street to say, hey, design is church, right? Yeah, it has to well, say you can, something. but you're not going to be happy with what <laughs> Right, because <laughs> the church building itself is supposed to say something, it's supposed to communicate something of God to us, and, and so too music in the right. liturgy, right? Absolutely, yep. It should, I, I mean, it, it communicates on so many levels. It, it should be leading people to God, it should be inspiring people to seek God in the Mass, in, in other liturgical services outside of that. So, yeah, there, there are lots of things. And, and this is, you know, people who enter this type of ministry, they're, they're really good people who mm-hmm. are interested in giving of themselves and, and sharing their gifts and their talents with a parish community. So we just want to inspire them and support them in what they're doing. I have noticed uh, just in our own liturgies uh, changes in the music, you know, hymns or, or songs, I should say, more so than hymns, songs that we used to sing that we're not singing as often, and it has more gone to hymns. Um, and that does take a, a very talented musician to be able to do that or t- to train, you know, the choirs um, and the, the cantors uh, into that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yep. And we should approach we should approach all music that we use within our masses and and other liturgical services with the utmost care and preparation that we can in terms of inspiring people who are volunteering in choirs or as cantors or um, directing that ourselves. So, uh, Dr. Porter, what are some of the things that um, let's say the the rubrics would would say as far as like what what are kind of the parameters for music, for liturgical music, for sacred music being used in the liturgy? I, I assume it's not just no holds barred, like whatever you think is pretty. Um, like what, what, are, what are some of the things that guide us in, in the deciphering of that? Well, the, um, the document that the United States bishops uh, prepared for us, um, Sing to the Lord, which was um, actually began as a document called Music in Catholic Worship in the early 1970s, and they have continued to revise and, and shape in order to shape what we do. Um, but they really give three parameters for, uh, for liturgical music. And um, the, is it pastorally sound? Does it fit with this congregation at this time? Is it liturgically sound? Um, is it properly placed in the liturgy? Is it does it help support the action that's happening at this particular moment? And um, is it musically sound? Hmm. So we have to look at things from three different perspectives. And just saying, you know, as you said, well, this is a pretty song. Um, that's only one of the criteria, and we have to be open to looking at all of the criteria for everything that we do. Hmm. 
Yeah, um, I, I'm thinking just like in new experiences through the liturgy in our own parish, you know, and how the changes in the sound has happened. And what can you say to those of us who aren't classically trained and the beauty of the music, but sometimes it's difficult for us as parishioners to sing. How do we navigate Mm -hmm. that? And are Mm -hmm. there ways that we as parishioners can learn to better participate in singing like my, all my kids are classically trained through Dr. Rebecca Raber, and my girls can knock out an Ave Maria, Franz Schubert, like nobody else. I mean, they could sing with Andrea Bocelli, as far as I'm concerned, but the mom doesn't have that gift, <laughs> and many parishioners don't have that gift. So what would you say to our listeners who, how can we, you know, immerse ourselves in that beauty without maybe not feeling guilty we can't sing along at times? Well, and that's um, that's the pastoral aspect of selecting music. So it's really up to music directors to be looking at, you know, all of the music that they're programming and, and to say, is this, is this piece of music? Yeah, I like this piece of music. It's a beautiful piece of music. It's well-written. It's liturgically appropriate. But is it also pastorally appropriate? Mm. And, I, you know, for us to say that, well, I'm just going to do it anyway, is not... Um, really caring for the congregation in the way that we should as music directors. Now, that's not to say that there can't be choir pieces that, you know, um, that are above the level of the congregation, and not everything has to be a sing-along piece in the Mass. So there are lots of opportunities to do um, wonderful, beautiful music, even complicated music, Um, but for the things in the Mass that we would want um, the congregation singing on, we want to make sure that we are properly preparing them and you know giving them the tools that they need in order to successfully praise God through music. Sure. Mm-hmm. Dr. Porter, are there any styles of music that are, are like have preferential that, that the church prefers and and kind of holds up as as something valuable that that should be maintained, or is it kind of is it somewhat open? What, what's what's the situation there? Um, yes. <laughs> okay. To, yes, to all. Yeah. Um, the, so the church um, has speaks of a preference to um, chant and to the traditional um, sacred genres of choral music that have developed. But the church also recognizes the importance of um, contemporary music and music that is newly written because that reflects a certain generation. So. We don't want to. Um, we don't want the pendulum to swing just in one direction. Mm-hmm. We want to be open in in planning and in preparing music, uh, and especially in thinking about the the congregations that we serve, of what is going to help them draw closer to God through the liturgy. Mm-hmm. So. So we have uh, a little under two minutes before we have to go to break, but how does one obtain the certificate? What sort of courses do they go through? So we're starting this summer. We're actually starting on June 5th, Hmm. and it's still possible for people to register for this. We will do about four weeks of online classes, um, just meeting once a week, kind of immersing ourselves in some of the documents. And then we have a two-week residency on campus, from July 10th through July 21st, and we meet Monday through Friday um, for three and a half hours a day, and um, 
again, we're, we're immersing ourselves in documents as well as studying different forms of music. And then uh, we kind of wrap up as with the rest of July and into August. The um, people in the Sacred Music Certificate then take three credits in the fall, and two of those credits are taking private voice lessons or piano lessons or organ lessons or conducting lessons, and one of them is a practicum. Uh, so we're going to be dealing specifically with looking at your parish music program and kind of taking that apart and looking at it from um, the perspective of the documents of the Church as well as uh, the pr perspective of practical experience. Wow, that sounds really cool. It sounds really accessible, yeah. too. For like, You don't have to be a full-time student at UMary in order to participate in this program, then. Absolutely not. The two-week residency is in July, and the rest of it is online. Um, so people will not have to be at UMary at all. Cool, cool. Well, we do have to we have to step away for just a couple minutes, but uh, when we come back, we want to go more into this this uh, new certificate uh, for sacred music at UMary. So stay with us for more Real Presence Live right after this. This is Real Presence Live, where the focus is not on the evil around us, but on conversion and mercy through the good news that is always good. We're local, engaging, and live on the Real Presence Radio Network. Have you ever worried about someone's salvation, especially one who died by suicide? I'm Father Chris Alar. Sometimes the state of their soul seems to cause us fear for their eternal fate. They die in what seems to be a hopeless state of sin and unrepentance. However, Jesus says in 1698 of the Diary of St. Faustina that what looks hopeless to us is in fact not so. He says that many times the soul illuminated by a ray of his final grace turns to him in the last moment to receive complete forgiveness of all sin and punishment, although we see no external signs of this. Wow! We can see why Jesus said that divine mercy is mankind's last hope of salvation. Please visit suicideandhope.com so I can personally pray for anyone you've lost and to get our book, After Suicide, There's Hope for Them and You, which helps with any kind of suffering or loss, not just suicide. I promise it will help. God's blessings to all of you. My name is Father Chad Wilhelm, and I'm a priest of the Diocese of Fargo. And this year I celebrate 25 years of being a priest. And the joy, the great things that I love about the priesthood is the deep relationship that Jesus and I have as speaking heart to heart. He knows the depths of my heart, and he speaks to all of us in the depths of our heart. That's what I enjoy about being a priest, that I get to speak about Jesus, not just on Sundays, but every day of my life, and that I've given my life to Jesus and the church. What a wonderful grace and a gift that has been for me for 25 years, and to serve the good people of the Diocese of Fargo, but just to serve the church as a whole. May God continue to bless all of you as you listen to Real Presence Radio. This is Real Presence Live on the RPR Network, bringing you stories of faith and hope through local hosts and guests from across the Upper Midwest. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Real Presence Live. My name is Janine Bitson. And I'm Brad Gray. And we have been having a wonderful conversation with Dr. Tom Porter from the uh, University of Mary in Bismarck, North Dakota. Um, he's been talking about sacred music and a 
wonderful program that they have established uh, at the university. During the break, though, yeah. uh, Brad had a really profound question, and so I'm handing it over to well, Brad yeah, to so reintroduce that. Right? Yeah. We're just, uh, we're, like, pragmatically speaking, this can be, it can be kind of vexing, I imagine, for people that are playing this, because a lot of times, as you mentioned, there are people who are gifted musically, and they're willing to help out at the parish. They may not have uh, formal training in, in sacred music and liturgy and that sort of thing, and so they're trying to you know, identify how do we how do we beautify the the liturgy, right? But like, so the question is like, how do we approach that? Like, what are what are some of the like uh, mentally? What what are some of the the, uh, the the processes that I go about in selecting what music that uh, I might pick out for a particular Sunday? Well, you know, one of the things that you have to remember is that every musician has their own preferences sure. of things that they like and things that they think work well and, and those types of things. But as pastoral musicians, we always have to be aware of what the parish is and who the parish is. Mm. So, for example, if a parish has a strong uh, Spanish contingency, then we shouldn't relegate that part of who the parish is to just like a, a Spanish Mass once a month. It should gradually become part of who the whole parish is, and we should recognize that as community. Mm. Um, as far as different styles of music, you know, there are, there are so many different styles of music that wonderfully um, create a sense of worship and, mm. and draw us closer to God in the Mass. Um, my starting point with, with selecting music is always to look at the text first and to say, you know, how does this text reflect the readings of the day, yes. reflect the liturgical season, reflect the community, reflect the, the time of the Mass that we're looking at using that. And, and then to go from there so that, you know, it's not all or nothing. We mm. don't, I, I honestly um, have a personal preference that, that we don't just say, well, here, this is going to be our contemporary Mass in the mm. community. This is going to be our traditional Mass in the community. I think we need to look at music as a way to bring those elements together. You know, yeah. it doesn't mean that we have to just jump back and forth between styles, but, but we need to be open to uh, the opportunity to use beautiful music in different genres uh, at appropriate times and with appropriate, inappropriate ways with the congregations that we have. I, I love the way that you are presenting that because I think there can be such a tendency to uh, to segregate right within uh, within parishes. Uh, well, just in life in general, we, we have we want to group people into this or that group, right? Or, or um, right. And and to to recognize that th that we are a parish body. Like I don't just I don't just have deal with my arms today and then my legs a different day. And, you know, like there's there's a wholeness to to who we are as a parish community, and to have that like you know we we all have a place here. Um, I think there's something really beautiful and profound about that. That you know we want to acknowledge that like this is this is a part of who we are in, in terms of our makeup, right? Right, and that's. You know, another aspect of our sacred music certificate is realizing that, you know, a lot of people who fall into music positions in parishes, um, they come from a certain background. Mm -hmm. And so just within the sacred music certificate, just uh, kind of opening up the treasures of the Church in terms of sacred music mm -hmm. and um, helping them to understand how different parts of that music can be used in different places within the parish life. That's that's 
part of what we want to do. And that is so beautiful because even when you look at our world solidarity and how important culture is in our faith, um, you know, even if you think of how certain churches are built in certain areas of the world, you know, based on the culture and music is so culturally driven um, and so much beauty comes from that. So that's very cool. Uh, very, very beautiful. Mm. So how, how long, I, I think you mentioned how long it takes to get this certificate, but could you, you know, re-mention that and then if someone is interested in earning a certificate in sacred music how can they join the program what what are the logistics with that great so the program would start for people on um, this june uh, june 5th is the starting date for classes and they would be done at the end of april next year mm. so they take three semesters worth of studies the summer in the summer semester it's just the sacred music class and then in fall and spring They'll have a lesson in an area of their choice, and they'll have a practicum, which is um, really kind of digging into their own parish music program and, and looking at it from a little bit more of an objective perspective. Um, if they would like to get in touch with us, <coughs> they can email music at umary.edu, or they can call the University of Mary and just ask to speak with a representative of um, the admissions office. In fact, our admissions rep for this is Michael Raber, Dr. <laughs> Rebecca Raber's husband. The perfect so person. Call and ask for Michael. Yeah, yeah, he's wonderful. Um, or they can call and ask for me, and we will be happy to get them the information that they need to get going. So, Dr. Porter, for you, you know, being involved in this all these years at, at UMary, the, the, this, um, you know, the choral activities, the, the, the aspect of music, what are some of the things you love about what you get to do with that? Oh, uh, there are two things that, that bring me to work every day. One is the wonderful colleagues that I have to work with mm. who just fill me with life and, and inspire me every day. And the second is our students. And mm. we just, we have amazing students. And we have students from all over the country. I have students in my concert choir from over 20 different states mm. and um, over 20 different majors. So it's not just music majors who are coming to sing and um, to take advantage of that opportunity. It's, it's people of, you know, all majors on campus, and they all come because they love to sing and they want to continue to sing and make that an important part of their life. And for me, that just, it, it fills me with life and energy and, and brings me to work with uh, a wonderful um, presence every day. And then the other part of that is that um, within the music department, we talk about intentionally living our Benedictine values every day. Hmm. And, you know, it's one thing, uh, these, are, these are great students, these are great faculty members, and, and they're kind and thoughtful and wonderful people, just as they are. But then to say on top of that, we're not just going to wait for things like community to happen or hmm. respect for persons to happen. We are going to actually be on the lookout for opportunities to do those things on a daily basis. And that it makes a complete difference. I'm, I taught at a state university for 14 years, mm. and it's it's very different. Um, it's it's a very different mindset to say we are going to come and we are going to live our Benedictine values on a daily basis. And what does that mean in terms of how we interact, in terms of how we talk to each other, in terms of how I direct my ensemble, in terms of how I teach my classes? Mm. 
That is that is awesome. What do you do with? Uh, so let's say you're someone that, that has an interest in music, but you don't maybe maybe your skills don't match up to your desires. What do you, do you have a place in in this, or or can can someone learn to to be better and to to really uh, I don't know give give wings to their their desires in some ways? Absolutely. Um, for instance, my concert choir is an open ensemble on campus. Anybody who wants to sing is welcome to come and sing in concert choir, and I will find a place for you. I do a uh, voice placement audition, which means that I'm just listening for students' range and the quality of their voices so that I can balance out and match that. Um, if they want to delve further into that, <clears throat> we, have, um, we have voice teachers. We have teachers in all areas of performance that students can take you know, piano, organ, guitar, instrumental, vocal lessons um, to improve their own skills. Mm. You know, sometimes we have the students come in who don't have a strong choral background, but they really want to sing. And, you know, I might recommend that they take voice lessons for a semester in addition to being in concert choir just to help them catch up Mm. because I want to set my students up for success. I don't want them to get four weeks into concert choir and say, this is just way over my head. I I can't do this. you know, I want to give them the tools that they need to succeed. That has to be incredibly rewarding for you as a professor when you see someone come in with, with this desire and to see them kind of blossom, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and, and it's something, you know, whether they decide to carry that with them in life as a choral singer or whether they just um, want to savor that experience that they had for a semester or a year at Mary. Um, it's something that they take with them for their whole life. Right, right. It, the skills and the the incredible gift of music uh, just overlaps into so many other areas. I mean, there's even been studies that have shown that students who have gotten involved in music are better mathematicians or better, you know, at uh, certain comprehension levels mm. in, in reading. Uh, music is so vitally important. It just really speaks to our heart, mind, and soul, but also to our intellect, you yeah, know, well, yeah. being the mind, of course, but you know, it's just very, very vital part of our lives. I've heard it said that uh, in heaven, all is either silence or singing. Have you ever heard that <laughs> phrase before? <laughs> I have not, but I'm going to use it. <laughs> I, I'm hoping to be able to sing myself. Yeah, I, I mean, know. I'm kind of looking forward <laughs> to that, too. You know, John and I are like, well, it was just the perfect storm because neither one of us can sing, but yeah. maybe we can. <laughs> Take the training oh, wheels off in heaven. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, one of the one of the heartbreaking things that I worked... Um, as the director of the Office of Worship for the Diocese of Bismarck for 12 years. And one of the heartbreaking things that I would hear time and time again is going to parishes and hearing people say, so-and-so told me when I was in third grade that I couldn't sing, and so I haven't sung since. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I just... There are so few people in the world who actually can't sing. Mm. You know, there are some who just medically, physically cannot do that. But the rest of us... We really don't have an excuse. Well, those are oh, those very are very encouraging words. words. Very <laughs> encouraging words. So, thank you for that, Dr. Porter. Thank you for being with us as well, and for uh, for helping to bring song into the world. So, God bless you. You're Thanks welcome. for being with us this morning. Thank you for having me. Yeah. God bless. Have a wonderful day. Thank you. You too. All right. We are going to have to take a quick break once again, but on the other side of the clock, we will be back with Steve Sponskowski and Tom O'Keefe to talk about the Made for Greatness Men's Retreat with Bishop uh, that Bishop Folda will be leading this July. So stay with us for more Real Presence Live right after this.